Hiya, and welcome to this episode of the Central Committee Broadcast. This week, we've got a chat with Umar, the Education Secretary, and a discussion about CC's portfolio review and latest meeting with the Deputy Secretaries. First, Angel and Sean present the latest news. So, Sean, in the news this week, uh, we've got an M&M's redesign, uh, new colours, shoes, personalities. Any thoughts on this? Angel, do you think that uh, article has anything to do at all with the fact that Nestle, Mars and Hershey uh, are currently being sued by former child slaves from the Ivory Coast right now? You know, it's a funny coincidence that, wouldn't you say? Yeah, a little one. It wouldn't be the first time um, that a major food corporation has done a, a rebrand. Or, you'd like, I was thinking like i saw the other day as well like the when there was that massive oil spill a couple decades ago and you had the bp rebrand for example like they do tend to do these things uh at at quite interesting times yeah yeah they sure do and yeah i'm much more likely to believe um personally for me speaking uh that tucker carlson of fox news really was in love with that m&m and not that he was paid off by one of the major chocolate companies, but, you know, it's just my thoughts at the end of the day. (laughs) How does this actually work, though, right? So what happens is um, it buries the story, because now if you Google M&Ms, or if you're looking through the news, um, if for some reason you're looking up news on M&Ms, which I imagine most people are not anyway, it makes it much more difficult to find the child slavery story unless you search child slavery. You can't just be searching, you know, Hershey's news, Nestle news, these kinds of things, because the rebrand is front and center absolutely everywhere. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it wouldn't have worked if they just changed the color of the M&Ms, for instance, or said that, you know, they were bringing a new flavor or whatever. It had to be this very specific type of this modern century culture war where apparently the M&Ms were too sexy but now it's PC culture got to unsexify them uh, and it, you know what fair play to them it it worked they've really yeah they have nailed it it's got the um all the the drama um so yeah quite a quite a clever move on their part do you have anything more on the on the lawsuit cuz this is one that's been going for a couple a couple of years now i think right yeah it has been it has been going for a little while uh so again it is it is hitting three three major companies um that we all that we all recognize uh, from being horrible big confectionery producers uh nestle mars and hershey specifically uh it's coming from the ivory coast cote d'ivoire eight uh citizens who said that they were trafficked as children uh to work on plantations owned by these companies which is a a major producer um of coca beans for uh use in chocolate yes being filed uh through in washington dc in the states just now is a slow process the united states law service uh here as well uh the legal service uh, is very very slow if it's like big corporations as well like there will be like procedural motion after procedural motion of delays you know like they will fight tooth and nail every single crossed i and dotted t to to just a sort of war of attrition almost to just exhaust the legal process before it can be affected so i imagine it will be a number of years before we actually see any results from this but certainly there's 
there's no question about the facts of it. The propensity for these corporations to use child slaves is, is already well established. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, University of Chicago in 2020 estimate that there's about 1.56 million children working uh, in the coca industry uh, across the world. So, I mean, as far as M&M's concerned, that's just how you do this. It's just how you do this business. Catalonia, Sean, what's going on over there? Catalonia, for anyone who doesn't know, is uh, the eastern region of Spain, where you can find Barcelona. And uh, notably, back in 2017, uh, Catalonia held an independence referendum that wasn't uh, legally recognised by Spain. Uh, It was massively boycotted by anyone who wouldn't vote yes. So I think when you look at it, it comes out like 93% of people said yes to an independent Catalonia, which I'm not doubting that that maybe does exist, but all I'm saying is that, yeah, it was it, it, it was a not-authorised referendum uh, that the ruling party in Catalonia wanted to put on. Uh, something quite uh, a bit more memorable happened in the run-up to it, though, in uh, August of 2017. In Catalonia, there's a main street that's very, very popular for locals and tourists, um, La Rambla. There was a van attack that went down uh, the road. I think something like uh, between 15 and 17 people died. 100 plus were injured. It was part of a part of a summer of uh, of what seemed to be this uh, big uptick in uh, uh, Islamic terrorism in uh, big European cities, which makes it all the more interesting that uh, the former Spanish police commissioner, Jose Manuel Villarreal, said that the uh, 2017 terror attacks, uh, both that one in Barcelona and a knife attack uh, at a beach resort outside of the city, that they were both orchestrated by Spain's secret service which is a bit, bit of a narrative shift away from ISIS lone wolf Muslims who are coming to attack uh, European civilization uh, that you usually get uh, whenever anything violent happens in Europe. And some people have already come out and called them a, a conspiracy theorist. People call me that as well. So again, it's probably no surprise that I think he's right, simply for, for, the, for the fact of the matter that it uh, lines up perfectly well with the reality that we live in and observe. Uh, but there's a key detail with them, with him in particular, right? Uh, where did you say he worked? Uh, so the specific name uh, of the institution is the National Police Corps, which is one of the like, kind of national uh, like police service in Spain. Uh, Spain, as you know, it's got it's quite um quite a broken down like kind of varied uh, police services throughout the country on like a kind of national level. He was an officer in the National Police Corps. He had been since uh, the early seventies all the way up and through until 2017. Following the the attack in 2017 and then the referendum, which we explained there, a lot of Catalonian uh, ministers and people in their government were uh, jailed. But actually, so was José Manuel Villarejo as part of a kind of ongoing like, public corruption investigation, which kind of rears its head in Spain every now and again. He said that the specific reason for doing it was part of a, a conceded plan from the central Spanish government against Catalonia to try and dissuade them from uh, having these ideas of independence. He said it was part not only this uh, attack, but also, uh, as I said, a knife attack at a beach front uh, on Cambrils, uh, which happened the day after. Now, specifically in that beach attack, 
there was five men involved uh, who were the the perpetrators of it. Every single one of them was shot dead on the day, and a few more were arrested for assisting, uh, like later on in the investigation. the The linking point that brought them all together was an imam uh, in a city called Ripoll in Spain. It turns out that that imam himself was an informer to Spain's National Police Corps. So not only here are we seeing good examples of terror being used to try and like sway public opinion, but we're also seeing like the way that the actual like method by which it's done, uh, you've got this imam who was uh, an informant for the, the service and managed to get people who were probably already radicalised uh, and probably managed to convince them to go and do this, basically this thing that was uh, wanted by the Spanish National Police Corps, but could be done without any real connection to them uh, unless you were specifically looking for it. Uh, Ukraine hit by, quote, massive cyber attack on government websites. Now, it was a defacement, so the the sort of internet equivalent of, of graffiti on the on the front lawn. This article uh, sort of alleges there's been something in the region of 288,000 cyber attacks in the first 10 months of 2021, which was actually uh, almost 100,000 fewer than 2020, apparently. Now, this is um, th- these figures are nonsense. Um, you can't count cyber attacks like that. Like, how do you... That's the kind of thing where they're like they're like adding another mark to the tally every time um someone with a Russian IP address logs on to <laughs> to like a Ukrainian government website. Don't believe any of the, the figures or hypes or anything, but I think it's worth talking about like what what cyber attacks can can actually entail because there's a bit of a lot of mystique that's deliberately maintained by the media about them. A cyber attack is is not much different to almost any other kind of typically like espionage and sabotage in the the sort of old days before um computers and network systems and things um you know if if one government wanted to shut down the power supply of somewhere or interfere with the water supply or close some roads you know they might have to send someone in to go and blow up the power station or go and cut some critical cable or take down a communication line or something like that and you would do some sort of physical attack on infrastructure. Now nowadays that's obviously still possible but there's a lot of easier methods as well that are available to people so you know the fact that the control system for whatever um, power supply or industrial equipment I'm sure some people remember the the big oil pipeline that got its payment infrastructure shut down and that was the you know when people were supposedly you know filling carrier bags full of petrol in um in California. What's happening there is is effectively that there's some sort of control system here that is connected to the internet or that it is possible to reach through the internet even if it you know requires one or two more hops at the other end and it allows them to to perform the same kind of of sort of disabling of infrastructure that used to require sending a person to go and do. So you're hearing so much more about them because it's a more trivial method, because in order to get greater efficiency now, you know, they'll they'll run a hundred or a thousand different you know, pumping stations or, you know, electrical substations or whatever. Uh, they'll run them all remotely from a control room. And if anyone can get access to the same the same system that's being used to control them from a distance, they can do everything that you would be able to do if you owned the system. And most of these systems, they're not well maintained, they're not kept up to date, and they're hard to build in a in a secure way with the tools that were available when they were built, typically a couple decades ago. 
So that's the kind of cyber attack threat. It's not anything special or magical. It's not anything that used to be impossible to do. People have always been able to take out infrastructure. They've always been able to find quite clever ways to take out infrastructure um, that were that were not expected or anticipated. There's no magic involved. It's not you know doomsday device stuff. But but it's worth sort of having a bit of an understanding about what's actually going on with that. Thank you for that. So would you say in your in your estimation this current this current round uh, of cyber attacks, which just happens to be websites going down and a kind of vaguely threatening Soviet sending message with a with a, the outline of the country of Ukraine, but like with a line through it being like no. Would you say that maybe calling that a cyber attack is maybe a bit deliberately a bit too much? It's a massive exaggeration. What well, is it like like the media really loads that term, like any any activity done by some kind of hostile to the media, um to the state that that, that the media serves. Um, it's a cyber attack, you know. I'm sure. I'm sure if if Putin tweeted the way that Trump used to tweet, that that would start getting called a cyber attack. You know, anything that involves the internet and we don't like is a cyber attack. Um, it's a you know, it's, it's vandalism. Yeah, thank you for that, comrade. Absolutely. Well, if we're going by uh, Ukraine's definition, me and you are definitely cyber terrorists. So we should probably get out of here. Thank you very very much for today. <laughs> Cheers, John. I'm now joined by Education Secretary Umar to talk about the latest updates with education in Red Fightback. Hey, Umar, how are you doing? Hey, comrade, yeah, I'm decent, thank you. How about you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Um, so, you are here with me today to talk about party education, right? Um, how are you finding being Education Secretary? I mean, there's a lot of work to do. It's stressful, but I'm proud of the work we've done so far. And I'm specifically here to talk about the work we've been doing over the last two months around solidarity model. So I'm excited to, you know, dive into that, explain what, what that's all about. Before then, I just want to sort of ask you in, in broader strokes, because I think there's a sense in the party of like, not quite getting where party education is at. What are the priorities? How does it function? So yeah, what what is party education these days? So the most important and most relevant body is the education forum. So it's always in the name that it's a body around education. What the Education Forum is, is it's a body composed of volunteers throughout the party who coordinate educational projects um, happening in branches, in caucuses, and they do their own sort of projects for education. So the forum compiles educational resources and creates new educational resources. The Solidarity Modules being one of these um, newer sort of projects being pushed by the forum to help create a good environment for education throughout the party. So that's what the, the forum is about. That's the main body. On the other hand, you also have these things called organic bodies of education in the party, the most obvious being reading groups and the different various circles throughout the party, such as economic circle. Those are not part of the forum officially. They're bodies that have been created organically by membership to help create educational bodies in the party. Um, and they run their own um, different things. Economic circle, of course, focuses on economics, um, but they have a relationship with the forum as well collaborative projects can, will, will be done in the future and those are the two main pillars of education in the party that's really helpful thank you if if people want to join the education forum how do they do that currently you just message me and you can be part of the forum you mentioned the solidarity modules and they've been sort of mentioned quite a few times of late what are the solidarity modules so free caucuses the apc caucus 
ROC caucus and the disability caucus are working with the forum currently to create free modules associated with each caucus. That's the major project currently. And so these free modules are being rolled out throughout the party currently. They've been being created for the past three months and they're there to have a key focus on, on these specific topics. So membership can raise the sort of educational level in the party. Because um, we noticed that because there hasn't been much educational work for the last about perhaps six months now, the understanding on these topics and what's more important, the knowledge of how to actively work within these various oppressions and to practice solidarity, that's been heavily lacking in the party. So the modules are created to help alleviate this issue and to raise the educational level um, so we can practice solidarity better going into the future. When will these modules, these solidarity modules, be taught in various branches in the party? So they're currently being rolled out already. The rollout has begun last week. So a few branches already went through the disability module. But you will start to see over the next few weeks, modules will start to be pushed out into various branches. It's being fully coordinated within the forum itself. Branches don't need to worry about organizing it themselves. The forum is already working on that logistical part. So most branches should be and already being contacted to arrange these timings. And if people miss them, will they be done again? Yes. So branch mentorship teams will compile those comrades that were unable to attend the module. They'll give that list to the forum and then we'll arrange special catch-up sessions um, near the end of February time. And if we have to, um, early March time to uh, help these comrades go through these modules that they've missed. Thank you so much for explaining that to me. Just before you go, I'd be interested hearing your thoughts in the broader sense about like where education in the party is heading. Like what by the time that we reach, you know, Congress twenty two, where do you want education to be in, in Red Fight Back? I really, really want education to be a self reproducing phenomena. Um the key part of the education forum is that though it's a central body for education, it really does require uh, initiative by the various bodies and various membership in the party. Remember that the solidarity modules are created in conjunction with caucuses. So they did require a deep sort of initiative by caucuses themselves to have volunteers volunteering to do the work, to review the modules as they're being created, to give critiques, to give their own thoughts. So it very much did require independent initiative in that regard. And so where I really want education to go into the future is I would very much like to see branch membership, branches as a whole body and caucuses as a whole, and also organic bodies of education as a whole, coming up with ideas for education and then pitching them to the forum and pitching sort of collaborative working sessions together. And then we can do what we've done with the solidarity modules to get these up and running and to start to create these modules. We're already seeing these sort of things up and running, but I really want this to be a collaborative and self-reproducing thing, a very dynamic educational environment. Um, so I encourage all comrades that are listening to, if you have any ideas for education or any thoughts, do send them my way. Or if you're part of the forum, do send them in the forum chat and let us know what you want to see going into the future because it does require comrades letting us know where they want education to go specifically. Thank you so much, Umar. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you, comrade. I'm now joined by Angel, Tech and Deputy Secretary, and Leo, who's Finance and Deputy Secretary, to discuss the recent portfolio review in the Central Committee, as well as our latest meeting. Hi both, and welcome to the broadcast. Hi Angel, how are you doing? I'm, I'm good, thank you. Good, and hi Leo, how are you? Hey T, yeah, I'm good too. 
Good. All right. So we are talking about the last CC meeting and in particular the portfolio review. So how, how are we feeling about the portfolio review? So obviously lots of different positions have changed in the Central Committee. Um, a lot of them have stayed the same, but there's been some tweaks. How are we all feeling about that? I'm really excited about the portfolio review, T. Um, I think we've made some really good changes. Um, I'm excited about branch support and branch uh, liaison working together because I think that makes a lot of sense. And I am very pleased to be joining the deputies team. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much for coming on board. How are you finding being a deputy so far? It's great so far. I mean, it's been less than a week. So, you know, come back to me in a few months time. But um, I am having a really good time. I'm I'm enjoying um, working more closely with other comrades on the Central Committee. And um, it fits really well with my existing finance work. Angel, just for those who might not be aware, what does a deputy actually do on the Central Committee? Because it's a little bit obscure, I think, to a lot of members. It's a role that was kind of carved out after last Congress, where for the first time we have a Central Committee where there's like a structured division of labour into different areas, rather than kind of a a relatively small um, or or a much smaller committee, really, where we were kind of all taking um, some share in everything. So deputies are, are kind of here to facilitate your work as the general secretary so like there's certain things that would nominally fall to you that you would typically delegate to to one or uh, or the other of us um and with this most recent set of reviews we're also dividing up some of the other central committee portfolios so that everybody on cc has either you or one of one of the deputies that report to is a little strong it's not like a management structure but like someone who you're in like most contact with among the the sort of deputies team I'm liaising with branch support and helping that work, and particularly on the member applicant process. Um, and I'm also going to be similarly working with JT on the membership data and applicant data side of things um, as well. So those will work quite well together. Yeah, and Leo, you're working with the Education Secretary, Umar, right? Yeah, that is right. I think as General Secretary, it would be quite difficult to keep, you know, keep an eye on absolutely all the work of the committee. And so with this deputy structure, it, it spreads out that that work. It kind of also sort of adds layers of sort of democracy to that process. You know, you've got three people to look at the work that's been going on as opposed to just one. And that means you can get involved in sort of more, more you know, more close relationships and more supportive relationships. So yeah, I'm working with Umar on education and I'm also working with the Records and Resources Working Group, which is not a CC member, but uh, but is a is a working group in the party, which I'm excited to be working with. Yeah, super excited to see what you and that group do. Um, I think, like, also the additional benefit of having deputies is just to like play you to your strengths, right? Like, um, you know, Leo, you've got experience in education, both in the part and beyond. Andrew, you've got lots of good administrative experience and so on in the party, like, and just making sure that we're utilizing you two across the central committee as well i think is is part of that as well um another thing that i wanted to touch on as part of the portfolio review is just the move away from like having a specific union secretary um, i don't know if either of you wanted to jump onto that initially yeah so i think the move to not having a specific union secretary makes sense where like red fightback hasn't yet like broken into actually doing any kind of union organizing itself. Um, and so the aim with the implementation plan for that portfolio is sort of around gathering information just on like union presence among members who's in their union, encouraging everyone to join their union, that kind of thing. And so that works kind of um, underway. It can happen under data instead as part of our, our sort of like membership records um, as it kind of was previously. And that 
just sort of frees up Sean to, to focus a bit more on, on a single portfolio that, that he's got a lot of strengths on, which is events. He did a lot of work for Congress organizing last year. Um, and obviously, as we get further into the sort of CC term and Congress, next Congress approaches, it makes sense for him to be singularly focused on that. Yeah, as well as looking at sort of other potential events be it around the local election strategy that's underway or um, other other opportunities as well. Um, like just making sure that events, which are you know, a key part of political organising, ultimately get the support that they need from the Central Committee. I think just to also comment on a couple of other portfolio shifts that there have been. Before, AY was on uh, data and security, um, and now she'll just be focusing on security, and in that including sort of a wider data policy kind of aspect of security. And the more day-to-day data management records and so on uh, will be done by JT. I mean, another additional change has been moving um, Emma from systems and just sort of honing that role to look more at strategy. And that's certainly like quite a broad role. Um, and the idea behind that is to both make sure that how the national strategy is set last Congress is understood across the party is improved, you know, making sure that it's been spoken about and understood and picked apart and criticised and, and so on, especially looking towards Congress 22, which, you know, we'll begin prepping for as a party in, in summer, um, but also looking to support branches and caucuses in um, developing their own strategies as well. Obviously, some Caucuses and branches have developed strategies, but like recognizing that that's a continual process, they go out of date quick, or at least they should. And so making sure there's someone able to provide that kind of support and guidance um, is really helpful. Leo, did you have any thoughts on any of those portfolios that I've just mentioned or, or any others that we haven't discussed? Agree with your conceptualization of the strategy portfolio. I think that will be a really good good place for um, for Emma to work. I think it will really play to her strengths. I think that your point around strategy is good. I think that the, the, the way we conceptualized the strategy at last Congress was sufficiently broad for bodies in the party to be able to really interpret it for their own conditions. And having a CC member who can support comrades in that interpretation is um is is really really vital so what else did we discuss in our last central committee meeting leo what was on the agenda i gave an update on stall insurance a question that comes in from branches every now and again is do we need insurance to run stalls um this normally comes about when someone from a local council has told a stall that they need insurance. I did some investigations and uh, we do not need insurance to run stalls. Um, there is no requirement at all. We actually see this as a really good opportunity to practice asking questions of councils, practice, you know, standing up to supposed authority. Um, councils cannot invent rules for themselves. They have to have bylaws or other rules that they have to point to. If a council tells you you cannot have a stall, they must point to that rule and show you where that rule is written down and exactly how that rule prevents you having a stall. If there is such a rule, which I would find very unlikely, um, this could be a really good opportunity to organise around getting that rule changed, especially if your stall is popular. However, it's much more likely that such a rule simply does not exist. And just providing that little bit of pushback um, will, will result in the council backing down very quickly. And that feels like a nice win for a branch, um, but also it's a really good opportunity to practice finding out where the supposed authority of, for example, councils is coming from. Totally, yeah, I completely agree. I think, yeah, you're absolutely right to highlight that it's about pushing back and doing, you know, practising um, the work of pushing back and objecting to these things and, and being a nuisance for the powers that be. But 
also looking for those opportunities to organize um, and when we come up against obstacles to our, our organizing using that as a way to double down um angel did you want to come in and sort insurance at all um yeah i had one thing to add on which is just sort of the the operative detail right is the fact that we're not a business we're not selling things and so that's really the circumstance where insurance is is actually legally required right yeah, that is absolutely correct. If you break down the work of the stalls, it is some people with a table, some kettles and some coffee offering it to people. That is not commercial. And that would be the same as you walking past someone having a picnic and them saying, do you want a crisp? And you saying yes. And that is not an activity that is at all necessarily very unlikely to be regulated by a council. Angels, do you want to talk a bit about the member applicant deadline? Yeah, so we're asking for all branches to put forward um, member applicants that they would like the central committee to to consider for membership um, by the end of this month. And um, there is a spreadsheet which has been shared with branches that people can be put into with some sort of information about um, development in different areas, you know, the extent to which um, people are involved in meetings, involved in organizing activity, attending educationals, these kinds of things that, that we look for, um, and just any other kinds of comments as well. So uh, if you're on a mentorship team in particular, please make sure you get that filled out by the end of the month. Um, if you're a member applicant, you're waiting to become a member, uh, particularly if it's been six months or so, do nag your mentor about it. Um, because if you have been around for six months, you should probably be being put forward for membership. We also discussed uh, the Kill the Bill movement and comrades DLB and ACM are looking to put on a post-mortem with the possibility of party education and articles coming out of that. If you are interested, um, do join the Kill the Bill channel um, to come along to that meeting. Thanks so much both. Bye, Angel. Bye, Leo. Bye, comrade. Bye. And that almost wraps up this Central Committee broadcast. Before we go, a reminder that the Central Committee has its scrutiny session on Sunday the 30th at 6pm. Come along, ask questions about our work and listen to the discussion. You can also read through the reports and submit questions ahead of time. See you there.